Step outside the comfort zone. It's time for the JoLynn Thomas Show. The show that doesn't just scratch the surface of the important issues. It gets to the heart of the matter. Here's your host, JoLynn Thomas. We are about to expose some raw and ugly truth. Here's the bottom line. In the United States of America, we have the best criminal justice system in the world. However, make no mistake about it, it is not perfect, not even close. That very fact is something that causes a lot of people to get uncomfortable. But here's something I believe with all my heart and soul. We do not make progress hovering in the comfort zone. If we want to make progress, we have to find the courage to step outside that comfort zone and face the raw and often ugly truth. Here is a statistic that you may find a little surprising. So far in the United States of America, there have been 2,257 people exonerated for crimes they didn't commit. And over 19,790 years have been lost. Can you even imagine having years or decades of your life robbed from you? Sitting behind bars rotting for a crime you did not commit? That is an uncomfortable thought. But it is the reality for far too many people in this country. That number, 2,257 exonerations, does not count the current individuals who are still rotting behind bars. And when I say that, a lot of people just cannot fathom that. I'm going to tell you right now. If I had a dime for every person that said to me, a jury of their peers convicted them, leave it alone, I would be wealthy beyond my wildest dreams. The truth is, that is a cowardly statement that we hear so often. A jury of their peers convicted them. Yes, we appreciate juries. They take their time and they do what they can, but that doesn't mean that they always get it right. I have to tell you this little story. So several years ago, my youngest son, Jordan, was at school and all the kids were talking about their mom's hobbies. And many of the kids were saying, my mom does scrapbooking, my mom likes to cook, my mom likes to decorate or paint or make little crafts. And my son says, "Um, my mom's hobby is trying to get people out of jail. Can you imagine the eyebrows that were raised? What? Because we tend to think that everybody that is behind bars is there because they should be. But that is not even close to the truth. And I'm going to share with you how I got to that realization. First of all, I want you to understand that I know that there are a lot of folks that can't fathom this reality. I had a real defining moment back in 2010. I was working as a TV news anchor, and I was covering a case that a lot of people didn't talk about other than to say, how sad. And we would cover it on the anniversary of this 18-year-old girl's death, a brutal murder. And that was it. And then they would say the little side note, uh, Christopher Tapp is currently serving time for that crime, and authorities continue to look for the other individuals who were involved in that brutal murder. That's what I knew of that case until I was contacted by the victim's mother, a woman by the name of Carol Dodge, her daughter Angie was the victim in a horrific crime that rocked a small 
community. And when her and I went out, we were sitting at a Perkins restaurant, enjoying our meal, and nothing could have prepared me for what I was going to learn. As she started detailing this case, I found it hard to believe that this could really have happened. My jaw dropped, and my heart was racing. And I found myself saying, no, this can't be real. Innocent people don't get locked up. We don't throw the key away and forget about people who did nothing wrong. But as I left that initial meeting, I did some investigating. I continued talking to this brave mother who was on the opposite side of where people would expect her to be. She was searching for the truth. And what she had discovered is that authorities had basically served her up a sacrificial lamb on a silver platter. They wanted this mother to go away. They wanted her to stop her pursuit for justice because, in their minds, this case was done. Over, finished, but not so fast, not even close. What I wa- what I witnessed as I watched interrogation videos outraged me. Here was a young man being interrogated in a way that was disturbing. Disturbing, yes. Illegal, no. Authorities were operating in a manner that was despicable. But they hadn't really crossed the line. They were able to lie to him. But the problem is they fed him details about this case. And when their theories were blown to pieces... That's when they decided to piece together what they had and give the public and this grieving mother somebody. Christopher Tapp was never, ever a suspect in this case. But he hung out with a crowd of people that liked to hang out by the river. In fact, they called them the River Rats. and. That's how he got brought into this whole thing. And incidentally, the lead detective on this particular case had been his school resource officer. They had this bond, and you better believe Detective Jared Furman used that bond for all it was worth. They brought him in. He knew the victim a little bit, but not not really. And they wanted him to implicate a guy that they believed had committed this crime. See, the crime went cold for about six months. And then there was a break. Then there was new life that was breathed into this case. And that's why they went after Christopher Tapp. They needed him to implicate their suspect. Now, the trouble is, once they did a DNA test, their theory was off base. The guy that they believed had committed this crime was absolutely innocent. Absolutely innocent, cleared by DNA. So they went back to the drawing board and they said, okay, look, look, Christopher Tapp. We thought it was Ben Hobbs because he had committed a rape in Ely, Nevada, and he had used a knife to control his victim. We thought it was him, but actually, Now we know it was Jeremy Sargis. 
So they have him change his story. They feed him new details, basically choreograph this whole horrific, disastrous interrogation. And then something happens. They test Jeremy's DNA, and it's not a match. Strike two. Whew, they're feeling the pressure because this mother wants somebody to pay for taking the life of her innocent, beautiful daughter. So they come in, and now all the attention is focused on this 20-year-old who hadn't even done anything wrong. He was guilty by association. He was friends with both Jeremy and Ben. And so now they start turning the tables. They won't let him leave. They threaten him with the death penalty while he's hooked up to a polygraph machine. And then they take what they have and they piece it together and they get enough to take it to court. And how they ever got a conviction is beyond me. Because here's the thing. They knew his DNA did not match. But yet, they were desperate to solve this brutal crime. Idaho Falls, Idaho, a small community. Things like this didn't happen back then in 1986. But in 1996, excuse me. So they needed to restore some sense of peace and calm. And they had a mother who was riding them. She wanted answers. And so Christopher Tapp was convicted without a shred of physical evidence. All they had was this manipulated, choreographed, false, yes, I said false, confession. That's it. That's all they had. We're going to take a quick break right now, but when we come back, I'm going to fill in the details on this story, and then we are going to examine some of the driving forces that continue to lead to more and more wrongful convictions in this country. I'm JoLynn Thomas. You're listening to The JoLynn Thomas Show, and we'll be back right after this. Straight talk from a free thinker who is not afraid to call it like it is. This is The JoLynn Thomas Show. Welcome back, everybody. If you're just joining us, we are shining a big, bold spotlight on wrongful convictions in this country. I want you to imagine for a moment what it would be like to be locked up for a crime you didn't commit, to miss years and decades of your life, precious moments that you can never Get back. That is the reality for far too many people in this country. Before the break, we were talking about the Christopher Tapp case. This was the case that really got me involved in wrongful convictions. This was the case that opened my eyes to the reality. I am a huge fan of the late great Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And he has a quote that he used throughout his remarkable life that I often turn to as I'm in the trenches working to help raise awareness about this problem and to help make sure that those who feel as if they don't have a voice are heard. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Believe that. But I'll tell you something. When you start to get into a situation where you are speaking out about the justice system, you are going to come up against 
some real critics, people who don't want you to expose the raw truth or to even question a jury's verdict. Yes, our criminal justice system is the best in the world. I don't doubt that for a second, but it is not perfect, and there are plenty of cases out there to prove that the jury doesn't always get it right. The Christopher Tapp case started in 1996 after a young girl, 18-year-old Angie Dodge, was found brutally murdered in her small apartment. The case went cold for about six months, and then there was a break. Ben Hobbs, an associate, a friend of Angie Dodge, had committed a crime in Ely, Nevada. He'd raped a young woman and used a knife in that crime. And so, lo and behold, local authorities zeroed in on Ben Hobbs. They were sure he was the guy. So they brought one of his friends in, Christopher Tapp, and tried to make that scenario fit. Trouble is, it didn't. His DNA didn't match. So then they bring in another guy, another friend of Christopher Tapp, Jeremy Sarges, and they get him to change the whole story to fit that new theory that they have. Trouble is, once again, that DNA is not a match. So strike three, they don't want to be out. So they decide to maximize what they have. They piece together everything they've got, and they bring a conviction against Christopher Tapp. They take him to court, and he is actually convicted. And what's really interesting about that case is that the judge, Ted Wood, at the time, said, young man, If you had not spoken, they wouldn't have had anything. The judge acknowledged that there was no evidence to tie him to this crime. And an interesting aspect of this case is that every single profiler has indicated that this was a one-person crime. All the DNA matches one individual, yet that individual, 20-plus years later, has still not been brought to justice. Numerous DNA tests continued to clear Christopher Tapp of that crime. My husband ended up being the defense attorney on this case, getting, not from the very beginning, but he was there towards the end as the fight for justice really started to build. And we were able to get people to see this from a different perspective. And as I started really talking about that case, there were people who did not want me to talk and tried desperately to silence my voice. But I wasn't having any of it. Because I believe that it's important for us to speak out against injustice. And the reason being is that if we remain silent and if we don't talk about injustice, then we never really know when that injustice might come for us or someone we love. As I covered that case, I remember talking about it on my show and having a caller call in live, and he started to rip me up one side and down the other. And I said, congratulations, you're the next contestant on What Would You Do? He, it was really funny. He's like, what, what's happening here? What do you mean? I said, you're going to play a little game. He's like, okay. And I said, here is the question I have for you today. If that same jury convicted you or someone you love 
without a shred of physical evidence and despite the fact that your DNA or your loved one's DNA cleared you or them of the crime, would you still, still be waving that flag, suggesting adamantly that the jury got it right? There was enough silence that you could have heard a pin drop. And I said, well, would you? Would you still be suggesting to me that the jury got it right and that I should shut up? He was quiet. The cat apparently had his tongue. So I said to him, here is what I know. I know that if you found yourself in that situation or if your son or your daughter was facing that ugly reality, I know that you would not want me to shut up. You would hope and pray that me or someone like me would step up and speak out for you or your loved one. And I said, and make no mistake about it, I would, because it's never the wrong time to do the right thing. And then he simply said, well, I guess you got me. And he hung up. But this is the kind of obstacle that you're going to face when you decide to have that moment of clarity. For me, it was this case that woke me up. I believe I was walking around sort of asleep, believing that juries always got it right. But they don't. And it's important for us to recognize that We need to come together collectively and send the message that we will not tolerate this kind of injustice. That we will not allow authorities to play by a different set of rules because that's what continues to happen in this country. Now, when we come back, we're going to go ahead and wrap up this story And then we're going to talk about a groundbreaking case that sort of turned the system on its head. It was groundbreaking in the sense that finally, finally, somebody was going to make authorities be accountable. I'm Jill Lynn Thomas. We'll be right back. Common Sense Talk with Compassion. This is the JoLynn Thomas Show. Here's JoLynn Thomas. So good to have you along for this conversation. We are exposing the raw, ugly truth that leads to more and more wrongful convictions in this country. I know some of you might be saying, the jury always gets it right. No, 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 not even close. There are, as we speak, people right now throughout this country rotting in prison cells, and they most certainly should not be. When I talk about this sort of thing, people get a little uncomfortable, I'm not going to lie. Ooh, she's trying to free criminals. Fear is a driving force. Because think about it, for decades we had politicians leading the charge for re-election by inciting fear. Yes, fear mongers are alive and well, and they have been for a very long time. But keeping innocent people locked up does not make us safer. Not even close. Before the break, we were talking about the case that is near and dear to my heart. It's near and dear because it was my first adventure in the wrongful conviction arena. This was the case that sort of woke me up. This was the case that caused me to confront the raw and, yes, ugly truth. And that ugly truth is that authorities do not like to give up their convictions. No, they don't. That's what happened in the Christopher Tapp case. So before the break, we were talking about the fact that when he was convicted of this 
horrific murder, which he didn't commit. The DNA cleared him of it. Yet, it was a false confession that led jurors to believe he was the guy. And he got convicted. Well, as I started to learn the truth of what had really gone on and just how despicable the behavior of authorities really was, I thought, okay, his DNA doesn't match. This is going to be simple. Not so fast. From the time I really started getting involved in this case, it was seven long years beating our heads against the wall. And authorities knew they had all the information, yet they didn't want to see it. They didn't. They were desperate to cling to this conviction. A couple of years ago, I was sitting in a meeting with the lead detectives on this case, the prosecutor, the deputy prosecutor, the chief of police. We were all in this room, and the victim's mother had asked me to come. Because, interestingly enough, since she wasn't buying into their conclusion, since she was challenging the status quo and saying, you got the wrong guy, They turned on her. They put a lot of pressure on her as if she wasn't dealing with enough. So she asked me to come and be there. And you know that as I walked in that room, they were not happy to see me. After all, I'm the woman who started reviving this case. I'm the one who started talking about it. And they tried desperately to shame me. Can't you find a fresh case to talk about? And it was in that moment that I sort of created my mantra. Justice doesn't have an expiration date. Yeah, now the cat had their tongue. They were happy to laugh at me and suggest that I was really off base. But when I put that to him, No, I'm not going to stop talking about this case, no matter how old it gets, because justice doesn't have an expiration date. Suddenly, these guys had nothing to say. Yeah. Well, in this meeting, it was very interesting because we're sitting there, and I was trying real hard to just be very diplomatic. I had to bite my tongue. But I'll never forget this particular moment when they looked right at me and the victim's mother and said, Jolyn, Carol, you guys are putting too much emphasis on DNA. DNA is not the end all be all in solving crimes. It's not really important when it comes to solving crimes. Are you kidding me? This was not their first rodeo. That's what I want you to know and understand. These were well-trained, seasoned professionals, and yet they looked us right in the eye and tried to convince us that scientific evidence is not important. Right. So we're supposed to believe your fictitious little fairy tale over the rock-solid scientific evidence that's staring all of us right in the face. How did Christopher Tapp commit this crime? Was he some magic Houdini who had committed this crime as if by magic? Because there's no physical evidence. Where was he when this crime occurred? And are we really supposed to believe that one guy was stupid enough to leave his mark and the other two individuals that you believe were there somehow were brilliant masterminds and able to clear away any evidence that they were there. Is that what you want us to believe? Because that is not making any sense. Well, yeah, I mean, he was there. So all the physical evidence, every bit of the physical evidence matches one individual. And yet you still want to try to convince us that you got the guy? 
Do you hear the words that are coming out of your mouth? And this is what I want to focus on right now. This is not new. This is not something that's original in these cases. This is what happens all the time. Confirmational bias. That is one of the driving forces in wrongful convictions. You have authorities that cling to these convictions as if they're some sacred badges of honor. They won't let go of them no matter what evidence is staring them in the face. And they don't just try to deny justice. They actively work against it. Because they reject anything that does not confirm their original conclusion in the case. They get so invested in their theory that they don't want to let go of it even if it means that innocent people rot behind bars. Their reputations, the reputation of the system, becomes much more important than the truth. And here's the thing. In this country, think about it. We reward prosecutors based on the number of convictions. So you better believe they're going to claw and fight, not for the truth, not for justice, but for a conviction. And if that doesn't frighten you, it should terrify you. I'm telling you. Because if this kind of behavior goes unchecked, then none of us are safe. The people at the center of these cases were ordinary citizens. Just going about their business, and they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. And somehow, somebody's career, somebody's number of convictions becomes more important than their very life. And that's the truth. That is the ugly truth that I'm talking about. And I know some of you might be rolling your eyes and thinking, oh, my goodness, if she doesn't like this system, why doesn't she go to another country? Oh, stop already. Here's the thing. I can recognize the value of this system, but I am not about to pretend that everything's okay. The end does not justify the means, and that's what you confront Every single time in these cases, the end justifies the means to these folks. They believe that they are above the law. They somehow try to justify it. I have this visual in my mind as I work on various cases. I can see authorities sitting around this pretty little conference table high-fiving each other, giving each other the little fist bump and trying to validate their unethical, despicable behavior. If somebody starts to have a little bit of a conscience, ooh, can't have that because that could mess up the whole system. Think about it. They rob years from people's lives. Now, look, I know I'm pretty passionate about this, but here's the thing. My frustration with this system is not the fact that mistakes happen. Of course, mistakes happen. But my outrage comes that once the writing is on the wall, there are those prosecutors and police who refuse to acknowledge it. Step up to the plate. Own it. All you have to do is say, in light of new evidence, we now know that we made a mistake and we apologize and then let justice be done. But I'm telling you, that's not the way it happens. They reject the idea at every turn, at every turn. And that's why when we do see some prosecutors who recognize it and get it right, we have to put them up on a pedestal. If we want the system to be better, then we need to reward prosecutors for getting at the truth. 
reward them for seeing that justice is done. And if that means you don't get a conviction today, then so be it. We should still reward you for putting justice as the priority. In this case, the Christopher Tapp case, in March of 2017, he finally got out. And there were a lot of people that helped with that. My husband never gave up as the defense attorney. And believe me when I tell you, they tried desperately to make it uncomfortable for him. They actually suggested that he should defend him, but not so vigorously. Is that what we want? Do we want people telling our defense attorneys to just look away from the evidence and to just go ahead and buy into a fraudulent conviction? Because we get a whole lot of that. Judges for Justice jumped in and did some incredible work on this case. And you can check them out at judgesforjustice.org. My good friend, Mike Heavey, a judge from Seattle who was instrumental in the Amanda Knox case, a wonderful guy who dedicated so much of his time and energy. He's a retired judge now. And his passion is making sure that justice prevails. Uh, also, Dateline, Keith Morrison did two investigative reports on this case, and I got to interview him. And I was so impressed with just how straightforward he was. And I remember him saying to me that this was a case that sometimes kept him up at night thinking about it. And I could relate because my husband and I for years had been kept up at night by this case. So then after that, it was CBS 48 Hours that got involved. And then Stars also did a two-part documentary. That's the most recent one. It aired, in fact, just a couple of months ago in June, the middle of June. You can check it out there. You can also check out Dateline um, and see the details of this case a little bit more. But here's the thing I want you to know. Even though Christopher Tapp was cleared by DNA evidence, even though Judges for Justice and Steve Drizzen with the Center for Wrongful Convictions, a leading expert on wrongful convictions, did an extensive report pro bono and said that this was one of the worst Cases of false confessions he'd ever seen in his life. And he worked on the making of a murderer case. And he said that this false confession, this botched investigation and prosecution was every bit as horrific as the making of a murderer case. Even despite all of that, what ended up happening is that authorities decided to let him out so long as he would admit guilt. So once again, here's one final blow. As if they hadn't taken enough from this young man. 20 years of his life was not enough. Their reputations, their standing in the community became more important. Now I think you can understand my outrage and my passion regarding this. To sit in that courtroom and hear him still be a convicted murderer so that these prosecutors, so that these police can feel better, made me sick to my stomach. Yet, I can't tell you the joy that I felt as I watched those handcuffs be taken off of this young man. And as I watched his mother and the victim's mother hug him at the same time, they developed a close bond. And there he was standing between two women. And one of those women, by all accounts, shouldn't have been standing there. She should have been standing with the prosecution 
wanting him to continue paying. In fact, they pretty much said as much. Somebody's behind bars. Why can't you just let this go? I often wonder, how is it that these individuals were able to get up every single day and look themselves in the mirror without any kind of guilt? It's that confirmational bias, that tunnel vision. They refuse to see the things that blow their theory to pieces. And even when it's staring them right there, even the latest, most advanced DNA tests cleared him completely, said it is not possible that he could have done this. Yet they don't have the courage to stand up and face the ugly truth. And they didn't even, they didn't even have any part in the original conviction. But they had to protect their brothers, their sisters, those within the system who were part of this botched, horrible investigation and conviction. Because in their minds, guess what? Protecting the system matters more than saving an innocent life. I remember I was interviewing the prosecutor who was up for a judgeship. He wasn't the prosecutor at the time of this disaster, but he sure was desperate to protect that ugly, ugly mistake. And as we were in a commercial break, he said to me, Jolyn, you got to understand, he's never getting out. Why do you put so much energy into this? And I looked at him and I said, Bruce, you know that his DNA doesn't match. You know this. So why do you turn away? And you know what he said? Who am I to fix it? And I said, you've got the power. You just need the courage to use it. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back right after this. Using her voice to rally the cry for those who feel like they have no voice. This is the JoLynn Thomas Show. We've been talking about the Christopher Tapp case. That was my introduction into the wrongful conviction arena. And in 2017, Christopher Tapp walked out of a courtroom a free man. A free man, but because of confirmational bias, he still had this murder conviction. And a lot of people say, well, why did he agree to that? The reason being is that they had had this evidence for so long. And every single time we went into the courtroom, he lost. It was astonishing. But the system had a whole lot of gridlock And that's what we have to break. And the way we do that is by rallying together and letting our voices send that collective message that we will not sit by idly. Not on our watch will we allow injustices to go unchecked. Not on our watch will we allow authorities to continue to get away with despicable, unethical misconduct. I cannot tell you what it felt like to stand on the courthouse steps. It was a long time coming. After 20 years, he finally got his freedom. And he's a remarkable young man. We have a good relationship with him. He's gotten married. He's moving on with his life. And what continues to amaze me is that he is not bitter. He has learned something. And this is the common denominator in all of these cases as I interview people who have known this ugly fate. The common denominator is that they understand the value of forgiveness. They understand that when you hold on to a grudge, you give away your power. And when you forgive somebody, you take that power back. 
they come out after decades behind bars and life has moved on. Technology has advanced. There's a lot they have to learn, but I'm telling you, there's a lot that we can learn from them because they all say it in their own unique way, but they all learn that they don't have time to live in the past. I think about it all the time. All the Christmases and birthdays and anniversaries and precious moments that they miss. How do they just find the courage to let it all go? I don't know if I'd be that strong. I don't know. Because this is stuff that money can't buy. You can never get back all these years lost. So what they do is they come out. And they decide to live every day to the fullest. And I commend them. There are so many incredible stories of courage and inspiration. People who find the strength to endure the unthinkable. Sometimes I just imagine the isolation, the loneliness of shouting your innocence and yet nobody listens. And people actively work to keep you there. There's a case that I want to talk about. It's a real interesting case. And I mentioned to you a little earlier that this case sort of was groundbreaking in the sense that this was a case where finally the folks who were directly involved in this disaster had to be accountable. I'm talking about the Michael Morton case. This case happened in... 1987, Michael Morton was convicted of murdering his wife and sentenced to life in prison. Unbelievable. His three-year-old son, Eric, had seen this crime and had described somebody that looked nothing like Michael Morton and had actually said that his daddy was not there. And there was a transcript of Christine Morton's mother telling authorities that, yet somehow that never, ever made it in. Uh, despite the fact that a check made out to Christine Morton was cashed with a forged signature after her death, and her credit card was used fraudulently in San Antonio, police still pointed to Michael Morton. And Ken Anderson, the prosecutor, insisted that he had his guy. And at trial, the judge in the case actually asked Ken Anderson if he had any evidence that could point to this man's innocence. And he said no, but in fact he did. There was a bandana that had been found in August. It was turned over by Christine Morton's brother. Christine Morton was murdered in August. So that same month, they had this bandana, but they focused on Michael Morton. They built their case around him and said he was the guy. So they rejected this bandana. They didn't test it for years. And turns out it proved that a guy by the name of Mark Alan Norwood had committed this murder. When that DNA evidence was uploaded into CODIS, that's what came back. And sadly, this guy, Mark Allen Norwood, went on to kill Deborah Masters Baker in 1988. This crime happened in 1986, but authorities rejected the idea that it could be anybody besides her husband, Michael Morton. And so this guy, this guy, Mark Allen Norwood, was free, free to take somebody else's loved one, took a young mother from her children and her husband, turned another life upside down. Now, what's groundbreaking about this case is also the fact that neighbors had said they'd seen this green van lurking around, and yet, guess what? 
They didn't even follow that because they believed that it was Michael Morton. They believed it was her husband. No matter what the evidence said, they already made up their mind. That confirmational bias was alive and well in this case. Well, Prosecutor Ken Anderson went on to be a judge. But when all this came out and Michael Morton was finally exonerated with the help of the Innocence Project in 2011, Prosecutor Ken Anderson was now on the bench. But lo and behold, he found himself on the other side. He was in a courtroom, not as a judge, not holding the power, but as a defendant. Because he didn't turn over this evidence. He was found guilty of mishandling the Michael Morton case. He was sentenced to 10 days in jail. And he had to surrender his law license. 10 days doesn't really compare to the nearly 25 years that were robbed from Michael Morton. Unbelievable. But this case brought about some changes in Texas that are helping folks there and shining a bright spotlight on the fact that this continues to happen. Texas enacted the Michael Morton Act, and this required that prosecutors turn over absolutely everything. And this is different than Brady versus Maryland. That was a Supreme Court decision that said prosecutors must turn over all material evidence that was material to guilt or innocence. But the Michael Morton Act takes it a step further. Absolutely everything must be turned over. Transparency is a pretty little word. We use it all the time in this country. But in the criminal justice system, that doesn't always happen. And we need to speak up and demand more transparency so that we can ensure that not just convictions happen, but that justice occurs. Because injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. That came from the mouth of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., And truer words were never spoken. He also said, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. There are, as we speak, innocent people rotting behind bars for crimes they didn't commit. You can make a difference by speaking up and demanding transparency and letting people know that you care about justice not convictions. We should reward people for getting at the truth, for ensuring that justice happens. We're going to talk more next time about some other groundbreaking cases. You can always find me at the Joe Lynn Thomas Show on Facebook or at TalkZone.com. I'd love to hear your thoughts. And if you have a case you'd like me to look into, by all means, get me that information. Have a fantastic day. I'm Jolyn Thomas. I'll talk to you again soon.